Hi, and welcome to Bad Decisions. The podcast that helps us understand why we choose what we choose. Why we think what we think. And how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. Always in an ethical and professional manner. I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg. I'm a performance psychologist. And I'm Dan Monheit, co-founder of Hard Hat, a creative agency built for the digital age. Let's roll. All right, so we're going to flip things around a little bit. We're going to mix things up this time. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're starting to feel good. comfortable. We're Spicy. going to mix it up. Spicy. We are going to start with a game. A game, good. I'm calling it a game, but really we're actually bringing the research part forward and you... You've lost me. Dan Monheit. Can we just do a game? <laughs> you are the single participant in this study. Good. Do you consent? Yeah, I, if I'm the only participant, I feel like I'm definitely going to win. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I like the confidence. Good. So here's how this game is going to work. And just for everybody uh, listening in, uh, Dan has given his consent. Uh, he understands that this study uh, meets all ethical guidelines and uh, his results will be kept confidential just between you and us. Here's how the game works. I'm going to tell you a sequence of numbers, okay? Mm-hmm. And these numbers are bound together by a rule that I'm thinking of. Okay. Your job is to figure out what the rule is, mm-hmm. okay? And the way that you figure out what the rule is is that you get to tell me a sequence of numbers yep. that you think matches my rule. Easy. I'm going to tell you whether you're right or wrong, uh-huh. and after that you'll be able to have a guess of what the rule is. Okay. Got it? Got it. All right. The sequence of numbers is two, four, eight. Two, four, eight. Okay, cool. Uh, three, six, twelve. That conforms to my rule. Okay. Uh, 5, 10, 20. Yep, that follows the rule. Do you want to have a guess of what the rule is? Okay, yeah, I got it. This is pretty easy. So you double the number each time. No. Mm, okay. Uh, 12, 24, 30. Uh-huh. Yep. What? Really, you sure? Yeah. That definitely conforms. Yeah, it's my rule. I know what's going on. Okay. <laughs> uh, 10, 20, 30? Yep. Uh, one, two, three? Yes. I think we're getting closer. Uh, okay, so any so three three up three up numbers. Three three ascending numbers. Yes. Yes. You got it. I win. You did Woo-hoo. win, you were right. Can and we have see. some winning music cops? <laughs> well done. Yes. And thank I'm you. sure you were wondering what we were trying to show there. Other than just trying to demonstrate my raw intellectual horsepower. Which which should be on show for everybody all the time. But what I'm trying to do is demonstrate the confirmation bias. Confirmation which is, bias, okay. Yeah, it's the tendency to look for and actually pay more attention to information that basically affirms what we already believe to be true. Okay. So what, so what, what was that? So in that situation, you didn't know what the rule was, but you had to think of examples. Yeah. You had a predetermined rule. You had a working hypothesis of what you thought the rule was, right? Yeah. You thought that it was just doubling, doubling each number. Yeah, yeah. And so your first guess was 3, 6, 12. Mm-hmm. Then you went to 5, mm. 10, 20, yeah. right? So you were consist- consistently giving me instances that conformed to the rule that you thought was true. Got it. And then you told me what you thought the rule was and I said, no, nah, that's not the rule. You then thought I was stupid because you had the rule all figured out, forgetting that actually I'm it's my game. Right. Right? Okay, so let me get this right. So I was asking questions that I thought were going to get me the right answer. You were asking questions to confirm your own oh, view of what you thought hypothesis. was going on. Right. Yeah. yeah. What, so, like, what should I have done? Well, your job was actually to be confirming my hypothesis, not your own. Right. So what you should have done would have been to 
try different things to figure out whether other things match the rule. Instead of continuing to go with what you thought was the rule, try different things. So that's when you started saying uh, 7, 14, 20. Yeah. Something like that. And I said, yep, that conforms to the rule too. And then all of a sudden you realised, hang on, now I've got an exception. Yeah. Okay, so now my rule and my thinking of the rule has to expand a little bit. And that's where you got closer to actually figuring out the solution. And then I got it right. Yes. That's it's, important. Yeah, of course. So the idea with the confirmation bias is basically that it's easier for our brain to confirm existing views mm-hmm. than to introduce new ones because when we've already got an existing pre-held view, our brain is wired that way, it's easy, it's sort of the default system for our thinking to go in that direction. Anything that comes in that is contrary to that actually introduces what we call a state of cognitive dissonance. Oh, that sounds fancy. There's some big, big research words for you. So cognitive dissonance is the state of discomfort that we feel when there's an inconsistency between what we think, what we value, what we believe, how we act. Is that what normal people would call confusion? <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> it is. Yeah. Perhaps it is. So <laughs> I just like to use big words for things. Yeah. So this is a theory that underlies the confirmation bias. And basically it's such an uncomfortable feeling for us that we're highly motivated to reduce it. Okay. So if so if I try to understand what was happening in my brain there, so you told me to guess a rule. I had an idea of what it was. And then without realizing it, I was basically asking things that I figured were going to get me a yes, because uh, that's, that's easier for my brain than asking things that give me a no. And then I have to work out what to do with that. And not only do you like to be right, but you thought you were going to be right. You yes. thought you were going to win before we even started. The yeah. Game. Well, who, I mean, you know, you got to have confidence in life. Confidence is good for you. Yeah. So I, this is really interesting because, I mean, where, you know, in, in my non scientific world, where something like this really stands out is, you know, that experience I think we've all had where you go to a restaurant, and I guess, a, you know, a lot of my stories start in restaurants, but You're we, all, we, we all go there. And, um, you know, you, you'll be at, at a restaurant, and somebody at your table, for some reason, I don't know, they just got out on the wrong side of bed, but they basically decide, this restaurant actually sucks. The service is actually really terrible here. And then all of a sudden, all you do is look out for, and as a result, notice things that confirm the fact that the service actually is terrible. Like, can you believe when she just poured me water, like she spilt a couple of drops? Or when they put the plate in front of me, it wasn't straight? It's the worst. It's the worst, right? And it almost blinds you to anything good that might have happened as part of the rest of the meal because you are so set on confirming the fact that this is actually a shit restaurant and it's just just that that's the that's the experience I've decided that I'm going to have here. Yeah, it makes me think of when celebrities or famous sports people have a certain reputation and mm-hmm. often it's a bad reputation and so everything that they do is looked at with that view of oh that must be something bad and they're a bad person and they're arrogant or they're cocky or they're this or they're that and everything that they do is actually flavoured by the perception that we think that they're not a very good or noble person worthy of their fame, perhaps. And what we tend to discount and actually ignore is anything good that they might do. So I can think of a number of um, tennis players, for example, who carry mm-hmm. this reputation. Bad and even boys, though the, bad, the bad, bad boys of tennis, yeah. yeah and, it used um, to be such a gentleman's sport before these ruffian <laughs> kids got involved, right? But now even though some of these, a couple of these guys are actually like sort of in the in the top 50, some even in the top 10, none of that sort of really gets paid attention to because everybody's just noticing the tantrums that they throw. Right. And once we decide that these people are tantrum people, they could only throw a tantrum once every 50 matches, but that's the thing we're looking for and that's just confirmed what we already knew, spoiled brat, not deserving of our hard-earned taxpayer money. So I guess outside of restaurants, somewhere else that this plays out is if, if we think about 
purchases that we make on a very irregular basis. So things like a new bed, you might buy a new bed once every seven years, right? And when we decide to buy a new bed, you know, there's a part of us that thinks it's only really worth buying beds when they're on sale and we should try and get a deal when there's a bed. And what do you know, when you start looking for a bed, all of a sudden you happen to notice that all of the bed shops, you know, whether that's uh, 40 Winks or Snooze, happens to be on sale like this very weekend. Like what are the chances that 40 Winks is having a 40 hour sale in the exact 40 hour period that I've decided I wanna buy a new bed? So all of a sudden you're totally primed to be looking for that sort of information because you are in need of a bed. Yeah, when in reality the chances of them being on sale this weekend are 100% because actually they seem to be running 40 hour sales all the time. Like it seems that every time 40 hour window finishes and new one starts and you tend to not even notice these ads when you're not in the market. But as soon as you decide you are in the market, all of a sudden your consciousness picks it up and you're all about it. And I guess another place we, we all notice this is when we're looking for new cars and you decide that um, you're interested in getting, I don't know, a black Jeep Wrangler and you've never noticed black Jeep Wranglers before. And all of a sudden, as soon as you start thinking about buying one, next thing you know, you realize that they're absolutely everywhere. I feel like that happens to me all the time. All the time. Every six years or so when I look for a new car. All right, so there's more to this actually than just feeling a sense of like psychological discomfort. The evidence shows us that this heuristic actually has a physiological correlate. So it's been shown that we actually experience genuine pleasure indicated by a rush of dopamine in the brain when we process information that supports our belief. So it genuinely feels good to think that way. And on the flip side, there's also evidence that the state of discomfort is equivalent to a physical experience of pain. So it actually feels good when we confirm our own beliefs and it actually hurts us when we don't. Right. So if we went back to the start of this episode where I'm trying to work out what this ridiculous rule is that you've got in your mind, my choices are ask a question that is probably going to get me a positive dopamine hit with the answer or ask a question that's probably going to be like a kick in the nuts when I get the answer. Clearly, I'm going to be seeking the dopamine hit every time you pretty much got addicted to it because you just kept asking for that and you kept wanting that yeah, you're like, just like a little monkey in no, a cage no, a like, like I, I would have gone with like a person in a hospital where they get to administer their own drugs but yeah, sure, monkey in a cage whatever works really so where this is i think really getting maybe a bit out of control where this is really accelerating in our modern digitally led world is if we think about how we consume news so where confirmation bias really kicks in is around things that we're often emotional and passionate about and things like political views, right? And so back in the day when there was a handful of newspapers out there and every person's newspaper basically looks the same, what we tend to do is we read the newspaper, we tend to focus on the articles that support what we already believe and we disregard all of the ones that don't. And, um, you know, what, what we tend to do is buy the newspaper that already is the best fit with what our views are so we can use most of it as confirming our beliefs and ignore as little as possible. But now that we don't read so many newspapers and we tend to get our news through self-curated feeds like Facebook, what we end up doing is building our own newspapers that are just jammed with things that we already believe are true. And so what happens is we decide that, uh, I don't know, that, that there's too much animal cruelty going on in the world. That's our hypothesis. We then end up following lots and lots of pages and people that agree with and support that which then creates a reality for ourselves. Every time we go and look at the news, there's more and more stories about animal cruelty. And all of a sudden, it just sort of amplifies and keeps ratcheting up this perception that we have about what's going on around us is true. And maybe that's got something to do with the addictive properties of something like Facebook. If we're selecting what we want to see on there and every time it's giving us a dopamine rush, 
we're all just monkeys in cages. All of us. At least I'm not a lonely monkey in a cage. (laughs) So tell me, Dan, because I'm just the naive psychologist here. Tell me how our marketing audience can use this to help them. So I, I think the, the first thing for a marketer to realize is that you know, when you realize it's so much easier for people to take on information that is consistent with what they already believe, it makes us realize it would be crazy to try and change people's minds. So if we are a business that people have a perception about, unless that perception is like horrific, diabolical damaging, we shouldn't bother with trying to change people's perception of us. Instead, we should take a thing that they already believe, even if it's just a little thing, right? A little positive thing. And we should do everything we can to ramp up the proof points about why what they already believe is true. So if they believe it a little bit, we should talk about it a lot. And if we have an aspiration that is completely at odds with what people already believe of us as a business, we're going to have a massive challenge ahead of us. So be ready for a long haul a very expensive marketing battle, or be considered to try an alternative strategy. A perfect example of this is when we look at what Toyota did. So Toyota have an undeniable, undisputable reputation as a really practical, efficient, cost-effective car. So nobody looks at, you know, you go and buy a Toyota, nobody's like, God, she's a bit reckless with her money. She's just gone and bought a new Corolla. You know, It's, it's a really respectable, sensible car to buy. Now, Toyota obviously had ambitions to also get a reputation in the luxury market and to sell luxury cars for a lot more money than you can sell a standard Toyota Camry for. So one option they could have done is they could have said, well, people believe that we're reliable and efficient and practical, and now what we're gonna do is get them to believe that we're all of those things and also luxurious. But instead what they did was they said, that's gonna be too hard. We're gonna set up a completely separate brand right? And that brand is going to be known as a premium luxury brand. And that's how Lexus ended up coming onto the market. And Lexus plays in its space. And Lexus is completely believable as a premium, luxurious, high-end offering and has not tarnished Toyota's reputation as a sensible, practical, cost-efficient car in any way. It's a brilliant masterstroke. So what we take from that example is that what Toyota were able to do was to build on their customer sense of familiarity, loyalty with the product, not introduce any sense of dissonance, just keep everything familiar, while at the same time they were able to broaden their customer base by introducing a new product by the name of Lexus that didn't introduce any dissonance either, no discomfort, people are ready to go. Exactly. And I guess in your terminology, there's no cognitive dissonance for Lexus because nobody knows what Lexus is. It's a completely new brand. Cool. I got it. Nice. You can be a marketing son <laughs> anytime now. Um, I guess the, we see this in lots of fashion brands as well, where we have businesses that have got a really good reputation for something, but want to be able to access another part of the market. So you look at you know um, Armani or you look at Donna Karen, and these guys have an undeniable reputation as high-end luxury couture brands, but they want to big piece of the middle market. So rather than taking their Donna Karen or Giorgio Armani brands and putting it out to the masses, what they do is they create what's known as a diffusion line. So DKNY or Armani Exchange. And it says it's a completely kind of separate brand. It's not the couture brand that people know and love. It's a completely separate thing. And that lets us play in both of those environments. Okay. So it's, it's important to remember that as human beings, we like what is familiar. We like what is comfortable. We like what is consistent. And we literally oppose things that aren't. Yeah. Maybe can I just throw in, I, I kind of like this. Let me just throw in one more, one more example. Also from the fashion world. Um, 
So Nike obviously have a wonderful reputation in a lot of different athletic pursuits. Um, they have done an incredible job of actually becoming a legitimate brand in the skateboarding world, which took a long time and a lot of very carefully structured deals, you know, to, to be known as more than just a running or, or a basketball brand. So they've done a great thing with skateboarding. To do the same thing in the surf industry was going to be another long, expensive haul. So instead of trying to do that, they just bought Hurley. And Hurley is already known as a surf brand. So Hurley gets to be about surfing and continue doing its thing. So no cognitive dissonance there. Nike gets to keep playing in the traditional sports that it's already been in. No issues there. And everybody's happy and making money. And I'm happy because I love that you're saying cognitive dissonance as if it's a term that you've heard your entire life. (laughs) It is. I've always known about cognitive dissonance. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Feel that dopamine hit. (laughs) So why don't we recap? What have we learned? couple of main points. First is that we really like to hear things that are familiar and consistent. Absolutely. So from a marketing or a comms perspective, the goal is to accentuate what people already believe. If they already believe that we're a bank for small business, ramp that up. If they already believe that we're a university for sports marketing, ramp that up. It's really, really tough to change people's minds. So um, go with what works. And if you really have aspirations to be somewhere out of your category, be ready for a long battle or consider a Greenfields approach. And just to finish off and to bring back the human side to it a little bit as well, I think it's so important that as individuals who are curious about the world and how the world works, that we recognise that we have a tendency to confirm information or to accept information that we already believe to be true. But that's not how we learn and that's not how science progresses. I think it's important that we think or we ask ourselves the question, what am I missing? And instead of going around seeking to validate your own views, even as pleasurable as that may be from a neuroscientific perspective, look for instances that don't fit the rule. Look for the exceptions to the rule and expand your horizons. And look for other places for your dopamine hits, right? Yeah, there are many other ways you can get it. Good. All right. Keep it ethical, Mel. Dr. Mel. And uh, as always, if you have any questions, you can tweet us. My handle is at Dr. Mel W. Are you on Twitter? Yes. Do you like check it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anywhere else? Instagram. Insta. You want people to send you photos on Insta? It's your turn. Dan, where would you like people to send you photos to? Uh, you can send me photos, thoughts, comments, perspectives. Um, at Dan Monheit. Uh, not no doctor, just at Dan Monheit. Uh, no doctor. No doctor. Uh, <laughs> Loser. Or, yeah. <laughs> get me on Twitter uh, or Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook or Google Plus. No Google Plus. Right. Catch you next time. See ya.